Take care. Take care, everyone. Take care. Welcome to um, Awake, the minute by minute podcast. I'm Mike, and I'm joined as always by Priyank and Chris. And today we have a special guest, Carolina, who is a devotee from Brazil. Um, we're going to talk about minute eight today, but we're going to start with asking Carolina a few questions because we want to find out who Carolina is. <laughs> um, so, um, Carolina, um, you are um, from Brazil. Where in Brazil are you from, actually? I'm from Rio de Janeiro. Yes. Uh, very nice. Do you have like a SRF presence in Rio de Janeiro? Is it like a center or a temple or something like this? In Rio, we do have a temple. And here in my town, I live a couple of hours from Rio to the north. Mm -hmm. And here we have a meditation circle ah, in this cool. Nova Friburgo. Nice, nice. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how did you find out about Guruji? How did you get on the path? Uh, it was my sister who introduced me in 2006. She gave me the autobiography. And from then on, I only subscribed to SRF in 2012. That was wow. when I became a student. And this year, actually next month, I'm going to become a Kriya Bum because wow. I'm not yet. <laughs> oh, so it's very coming. cool. <laughs> you know which monk is coming? I have no idea if a monk is coming because of the COVID wow. situation. I don't know how they how they will do this. I have no idea. <laughs> right. That's so interesting that you found it through um, the autobiography of a yogi. I heard somewhere that that's the number one way mm -hmm. how people find out about Guruji. Um, I think the second one is through a friend. I mean, you got it from your sister, so you got actually one and two. And I think the yeah. third one was um, people going to Lake Shrine. Yeah, and that's I, so surprising <laughs> that one, isn't it? That's convincing. <laughs> uh, super interesting. So I, I think you probably saw the movie Awake before. Do you remember the first time you watched it? Do you remember where you were or how it was? I remember I watched it. I think it was in 2015 maybe mm. right after it was launched i remember the first time i watched i didn't like it much <laughs> i felt it was too much uh, i mean how to describe the life of a saint right in a movie mm. it's so it it kept giving me giving me this feeling of like something's missing no he's greater than that <laughs> how can you put that in a in a movie but then recently last year i watched it again and then i really liked it Somehow I was just connecting to everything. I, I even watched um, some interviews with the producer and everything. I got to know a little bit better how they produced the movie. And it was actually pretty interesting. I really enjoyed it. That's so interesting that you say that. I feel like I had a slightly similar experience, mainly because I thought my expectations, they were enormous. They were like, oh, they're <laughs> making an official movie about Yogananda must be the greatest thing ever and then I watched it multiple times I watched it a lot since then because I really find that some sections are very powerful and I started liking it more afterwards nice nice should we um should we start talking about um the film 
Um, so we are talking about minute eight today and minute eight kicks off. So we, we finished off um, last time where um, we had Lahiri Mahashai um, baptizing Yogananda and we had the scene and now um, he talks about, the narrator talks about the message of yoga. So he says that the message of yoga will encircle the globe. It will aid in establishing the brotherhood of man. Um, and that is like the, the first thing I think we can talk about. What do you guys think is this message of yoga? What do you think, uh, Chris, when you hear the message of yoga is encircling the world? So, yeah, it, it's, it's um, quite funny. The word yoga noise in the Western world is used in, in so many ways that probably it wasn't intended to be initially. So when I think of yoga, uh, multiple, multiple things pop up in, in, in my mind. Uh, and one of them is, is the disparity between what I perceive yoga is. And actually, if you go and talk to people, you know, in the street in the UK, they'll probably tell you yoga is something different. But um, yeah, I, to, to me, yoga is, is union with God. Um, and, you know, quite simply, uh, it's the trifecta of, of uh, meditating, of doing the asanas to ensure that you can concentrate whilst the meditation, and then the devotional aspect of it. So those three components for me, that's, that's, um, that's what it means. Uh, and that's coming from somebody who didn't really hear anything about yoga until he was 26, and I'm only 31 now. So um, yeah, I, I, did, uh, I did see on this topic, uh, from the undreamed of possibilities, an introduction to SRF by Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, a, a line in there that I want to maybe read out about this, um, if I if I can just quickly, and it Take says, it. Uh, it, in, uh, it is said in the Bible, be still and know that I am God, and in these few words lies the key to self-realization. So the science of yoga offers direct means of distilling the natural turbulence of thoughts and restlessness of body that prevent us from knowing that we, uh, what, what we really are by practicing the step-by-step -step methods of yoga, taking nothing for granted on emotional grounds or through blind faith, we come to know our oneness with infinite intelligence, power and joy that gives life to all and which is in its essence of our own self. So when, when I read that, I thought, you know, that's so much more of a deep meaning uh, than maybe what people might think yoga is today. Like, oh, it's like something good for relaxation, probably good for your body <laughs> to, to do all these things. So it's it's very, very profound. And, and really, it, to me, it's like the pinnacle of what it means to be human is, is yoga. That's essentially what we're here to do is to, to reunite ourselves with, with the creator. Interesting. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, that for me, even though I was born and raised in India a little bit, uh, we, this is not like, it's not a term that's used just on a day-to-day -day basis. So you'd more often use um, the word for meditation, like dhyan or shanti or something associated with the practice of a certain yoga technique as opposed to yoga as we kind of describe it as an umbrella term um as chris 
gave the definition. So yeah, so for me, uh, later on in my life, even though I'm, you know, I, I use a lot of the Indian language words or Sanskrit words, uh, I came to know yoga later through the, you know, the, the popular perception of yoga in the West, which is, you know, asanas and hatha yoga. So that, that's interesting for, for, you know, it was interesting for me to then learn, learn what yoga actually means. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel myself like when you hear in a in a popular kind of meaning, you you think of like you said of hatha yoga basically, and then when you think yoga is spreading around the world, it's like great. Oh, we're all become very um, like it's great for mobility and stuff like that. But it's not really the what it's about. Um, Can I just jump in? Actually, yeah, go for it. Um, I, I was reading more um, on on yoga and what it says in some of the texts, um, and it, it uh, with Yogananda's writings, uh, it talks a lot about the simple process of reversing the ordinary outflow of energy in consciousness. That um, the, the mind then becomes the dynamic center of direct perception, so it's no longer dependent on on the senses, but it's capable of of knowing truth. Uh, and uh, there, there's parts of Yogananda's teachings that say that there's two realities of, of thought and consciousness. And we're so often wrapped up in all the senses. And it kind of goes to what we're saying here about uh, yoga being all about the senses. It's all about how you feel. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's going to be good, good for your body and, and things like this. It's all about the physical senses. But um, the, the reality there is that you're meant to, in yoga, dissolve those things. It's quite erotic in a, in a, in a way. Like you're meant to kind of forget the body uh, and and go beyond that and go into the reality of truth, thought, and consciousness. So, just that, just to add that in there. Uh, interesting point of view. Yeah, I feel like as a as a as a devotee, of course, when you hear this, like yoga means union and then this, this whole this makes a lot more sense what um carolina what did you think when you when you hear this this um sentence when you hear um a prediction where they say the message of yoga will encircle the globe and it will aid in establishing the brotherhood of man i feel to me yoga my experiences with yoga started when i was 18 with the Hatha yoga, like every occidental person. <laughs> <laughs> and since, uh, since they start, to me, it means um, on the, the actual word means union with God, but to me, it means a lot of healing. Since the beginning, I felt many changes in myself. I remember when I was 18, I was very disorganized with my studies, with my schedules. And when I started to practice, I started to create a routine in my life. It was very beneficial. I used to have um, sometimes some arguments with family members and that just stopped. And now in this new journey with Guruji, more like bonded to him, it's just like healing me from so many things. These practices and really practicing love and peace in my heart, in my mind. And this is just like a big joy. And I believe that this message spreading throughout the world is really healing the world. We are all very sick. 
There is war everywhere. We are now experiencing this collective karma of COVID and diseases. So if we can heal our hearts and our minds, I think this is the message of yoga spreading out and really bringing healing and peace and harmony to the whole world. Yeah. Ah, beautiful. And I, I feel like this is like the perfect segue to the part I want to emphasize on this sentence. And it's the, the brotherhood of man kind of part. Um, when I hear that, I, hear, I, I always think of a song. I want to play it. I hope it will be louder than last time. Mm -hmm. Let's see if my audio is fixed this time. Yes, there we go. Yeah, that was, of course, John Lennon, um, who sang this. Um, and I wonder if he took the, the, the kind of brotherhood of man from it because he read Yogananda, or maybe this was just something that was in the ether at that time. But I, I really like this, how you said um, that people will heal their hearts and live together. Like, um, when when you when you think of brotherhood of man, what do you what do you imagine would that look like? Me? Yes. <laughs> so or sis sisterhood as well. You can have sisterhood. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, brother and sisterhood. <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with respect and consciousness. Just really respecting one another, but also having. Um, some consciousness of your own self of right attitude and right living so that you don't also push others to a limit, a necessary limit. It's just really having conscious, having a conscious consciousness of your own self, of the reason why you're here on the planet, just to really build something together that's good for all, helping one another. I think these are... Yeah. Caroline, you, you must you must be very attuned to to, to master and his teachings because I'm, I, I actually have the autobiography of a yogi up here, <laughs> and I just quickly searched Brotherhood of Man to see where it was mentioned, yeah. and uh, I, it 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 says um, it talks essentially everything about what you you mentioned there, Caroline, about um, uh, Brotherhood of Man um, ripens into compassion for one's fellows blind to the healing potencies of the soul awakening exploration. Only the shallow man loses responsiveness to the woes of others' lives. And it goes on essentially talking about compassion and, and love and kindness and healing. Uh, so yeah, you're, you're, you're doing, doing well, very tuned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think about this, Priyank? About um, the brotherhood of man? Absolutely agree with what Chris said. I can see Car Carolina's halo. <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna the people are gonna say we want carolina let's get priyank off like we need more carolina <laughs> on this podcast yeah no i i fully concur with what you guys have said and what that references to the autobiography um i i think it's such an important message especially with you know uh, the the silo mentality of religions and spirituality 
So in my mind, you know, the Eastern way of thinking in Hinduism and Buddhism is, is really, you know, is, is really the only solution for like unity. And that, 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 that is what that brotherhood of man means to me. So for example, that's not to say that everyone needs to be a, a Hindu or a Buddhist or whatever, or a Christian. It's just that we have to like absorb or encompass or widen our field of view and our circle to include that. And that doesn't mean that we need to leave our particular faith or our teachings or our guru or our priest or minister or mullah or whoever it is, right? Mm -hmm. It's such yeah. an important message. And often I, like even with Hindus, like some Hindus are so hardline, they, they, they won't accept this brotherhood concept. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then I say, like, for example, how, how are you going to involve, you know, the Muslim community in India if you have this such a hardline view on, on what Hindu should be like and what, you know, other religions should be? And they've got no answer for that. They just think, oh, no, they have to conform. I was like, and they're not going to just because India has the majority Hindus doesn't mean that the minorities are just going to conform. It's just going to until we like absorb each other's, you know, ways of worship and respect each other it's not going to happen right and that's part of some of the tensions around the world isn't it mm. yeah. when, when when i when i heard this word uh mike i initially thought togetherness and mankind and mankind is talked of being being made in the image of god so it essentially is you know yoga it is union it is seeing these similarities that we share, which is that we are all, every human made in the image of God. And, you know, we all have, you know, as Prenik says, maybe in, in, in uh, around the world, different ideas of what God is, but in the essence of, of love and the creation, we are all part of the creation. Therefore, we should all come together and see the similarities. And all, all too, you know, too often do we see differences. Um, so, coming from a Northern Irish Protestant Catholic background. Uh, I, I can see where Priyank you're coming from there, uh, there with that sentiment. So yeah, yeah, I should listen to John many more often. Exactly. I, I have a similar kind of view, like, and uh, I mean, a similar kind of experience. Like I grew up Catholic in Austria. And I think when I grew up, when I was born, I was like 88% of Austrians were Catholic. And now it's still, 66 and the fastest growing um, other um, confession is is atheist. So that's basically <laughs> that's yeah. basically how, how it is here. It's it's a very it's a very my way or the highway kind of religion culture. So when you speak of religion here, then it's a synonym synonymous for uh, you're Catholic or not, basically. Mm. And I feel like being open to multiple religions. So I feel like those countries that have meaningful amounts of minorities in them, it is difficult to get them all to work together, but it's also a blessing because you get to learn how to live together because this is gonna be the future of the world, right? Yeah, and that's to Yogananda's point, bringing the East yeah. to the West mm -hmm. and, and, and talking about brotherhood. And you look at London, for example, where we've lived, I don't know, Carolina, have you been there and lived there? I'm not, I'm not sure. Have you? In London. Yeah, she's been, I think. 
No, no, gosh. Never been. Well, it's it's incredibly metropolitan, and, and being from Northern Ireland, a very small uh, part of Northern Ireland, um, I love going to London because you step on the train and you see, you know, you are in the minority as a, as a, as a white person in the UK. And I think there's so many so many learnings that you, you can take from that just by seeing how people interact and you know the the body language and everything how we communicate. I think it's fantastic and really a blessing to, to Mike's point there. I think it's happening because it should happen. We're kind of being forced and brought together in a sense. Um, so yeah, hopefully hopefully uh, the science of yoga can unite everybody in the future. Yes. And um, then uh, the narrator continues. So um, um, I love this whole brotherhood of man concept. I think we could talk about this for <laughs> the rest of the episode. Um, and he continues and he says, but when I heard the word guru, it frightened me for I knew what that resp responsibility meant. Uh, there's two, there's basically, so what, what exactly is a guru and what is this responsibility he's talking about, Priyank? Oh, leave the hard question for me to answer, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Guru. Guru means dispeller of darkness. It's a Sanskrit word or bringer of light. So what does guru mean? I, I have, this is one of my pet peeves. Perhaps you shouldn't have started with me um, <laughs> because, because, oh, he's a marketing guru. He's a mm. computer guru. He's like a programming guru. Like I, I absolutely, whenever anyone says anything that, bastardizes the word guru because it's such a it, for for me anyway it's such an important word in our in our spirituality and to see it used in any any which way that it as, as it is almost like yoga right now right is it really really affects me so whenever anyone doesn't use it in the right context and even if they sometimes they do use it in the right context and they'll say oh like for example if, if i've if i've given them you know uh the teaching or that they, that they that they think is cool I'll be like, oh you can be my guru I was like I'll be like no <laughs> you can't use guru in such a it's it's such a it's such a deep word don't just throw it around um so well, I always words, words have no meaning not react it's like engineer you know <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> thanks yeah. for that <laughs> Carolina we were previously discussing Mike was saying he's a software engineer and I always challenge engineering as a word <laughs> because yeah, that's another topic. Hmm. But yeah, that, that's my take on it. It's obviously, it's a very personal relationship that you have with a guru if you have established that relationship. And Carolina, we were just talking about, uh, I think you, you have your career initiation ceremony in a, in a few months, right? So part of that ceremony is really um, accepting Yogananda you probably already have but this is a formal way of accepting Yogananda as your guru and yeah from that point uh, you can't just use the word guru ever again unless <laughs> unless it's in that context or if you do then I'm gonna I'm gonna phone you straight away <laughs> suddenly she won't be able to speak English that's why it took me such a long time to get the Kriya actually because I knew I would have to make vows Oh, yeah. And I took some time to um, explore other religions. And in many houses I've been, they were asking me, like, do you want to make your vows here? I'm like, no, 
I don't want to make vows. <laughs> but then now I understand the value of making the vows. It's just a beautiful relationship with the guru. And it's worth it. Now it makes sense to me. <laughs> what did you think, um, Carolina, when you, like, when, because when you're a Westerner and you first time you hear that word guru, it's not a natural word that, like, it, certainly it wasn't in my vocabulary. It was added later on. Um, what what do you think is this um, special uh, thing about the relationship between a guru and you? At first, guru really scared me. It was I was really running away from it, mm -hmm. and especially here in Brazil, we had many masters or healers that were really really famous. And since two thousand and fifteen, about that time, all of them started to fall like get into, um, you know, they, they were being sued for really bad, bad actions and they were really being locked in jail. They were really bad people after all. So this um, whole master and guru idea was just like super scary to me, especially to women when the gurus were, were male, male people. And, but with Yogananda is totally different I, I actually never met him uh, in flesh, but I don't know. Since the beginning, when I read the autobiography, I remember I was like, this is my favorite spiritual writer. Because to me at that time, he was just like a writer, a very good one. And I was like, his words are about love. They are not like, I read some other Indian philosophy books And they always felt like a little bit like Bible style, like pointing the finger on the face and kind of putting me down. But when I read um, Guruji's words, they were just like inclu including, including me and just like nurturing me with all of that wisdom. And it has a little bit of scolding, but it's all made with a lot of love also, a lot of uh, respect for people's difficulties in overcoming our our difficulties our challenges in life so was that the question what was the yeah, question again no, no that, that answered <laughs> very well and in that in that little sec a bit there carrie you know, you'll understand now why we talk for hours for just about a minute become become an hour yeah. exactly but that's what we're looking for those little gems mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. Chris, what do you what do you think when you hear the word guru? Yeah, I um, I, th I think for me, a guru is something that is very very personal. I think to Priyank's point, um, I wouldn't say the word guru. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't joke about it. I, you know, not that I, I take it too seriously either. But uh, it's something that I really reserve for Master for Yogananda. Um, and it, I, I would say to Caroline's point, I think initially um, reading the autobiography of Yogi, going to the SRF uh, center, I actually remember speaking to one of like the elders at the SRF center and saying, how do I, how do I know if Yogananda is my guru? And one of them said, well, why else would you be here? You know, and, and just in that, in that moment, it was just such a simple kind of comment um, and you could take it, take it any which way, but it just clarified to me, like, 
the moments in my life that I felt the presence of somebody with me. And it just became very, very personal. Um, I'm getting emotional even thinking about, about it now, but um, I, I, I did, did um, see in the Undreamed of Possibilities book uh, that it said um, a true guru is a God-illuminated uh, person who is, uh, has attained self-mastery. And to me, that is really what guru is. And, and Yogananda undoubtedly has attained what we would call even at the human level, self-mastery. Uh, and, you know, he, he lived his life uh, in, in the autobiography, you can you read there, that he wouldn't lie. He wouldn't even utter a lie. And I guess, you know, I would be guilty of saying a white lie. You know, I, I really, really do not like lying. And I've, I've had that all my life as well. Um, I wouldn't lie for anybody sort of thing. But uh, I can really see how pure he was, even from a young age. And then he, he really grew into self-mastery. And what, what struck me about hearing the word guru is that his response to that, he was frightened. There was a lot of responsibility. There was a burden. Uh, and even in his like innocence of his early life, you know, he desired to go to the Himalayas and, and meditate, but was told, no, you have to go to the United States. You have to fulfill this mission to be a, a guru. And, and, the, and the gravitas of that really cannot be understated. Um, so yeah, it, it, it really opens up a kind of worms, <laughs> you know, when I hear the, hear the word guru to me, it's, it's such a personal thing. And, and um, I, I did read somewhere, I can't quite remember, uh, I think it might have been in the lessons, one of the earlier lessons, that if you lead your life uh, with yoga in this life, um, and you have desires to really help people, or you kind of carry the, that out in this life, you kind of become, let's say, next in line in your next life to, to really go, go on with that and help others. And, and a guru is somebody that helps others and brings more souls, you know, back to their origin, back to God. So, yeah, when I think about this, um, Yogananda is, is a great soul that is bringing many others, answering the prayers of many others uh, who, who desire to know God. So, yeah. Now that you put a, a lot of key points in there, Chris, that like the guru needs to be a God-realized man because he's essentially, like Priyanka also said, the dispeller of darkness. And this is such an incredible responsibility if you think about it. And on the other side, such an incredible service to the disciples. You know, you suddenly have someone, you can visualize him, you pray to him, you focus your whole life on him and i think that's what he what he meant when he said um that it's, it's, it frightened him to take on this enormous responsibility of not like five people but of hundreds of thousands of people mm -hmm. right and yeah, even, really. even after his life now guruji is possibly in hiranyaloka with sri yukteswar and has <laughs> millions of people praying to him, right? It's, mm. it's, and with, um, with uh, Lahiri Mahesha, also when he was speaking with Babaji in, in his moment, um, uh, you know, Babaji in the autobiography of the Yogi, uh, page 183 says, um, 
you know, your, your role in this incarnation must be played on an outward stage. Um, and, and he talked about uh, having a deep purpose uh, to, to meet the cries of many bewildered worldly men and women who have not fallen uh, and whose words have not fallen unheard of um, to, to, to God. And, you know, that, that's the that's, uh, that's same as Yogananda. You know, he wanted to go to the Himalayas and just kind of spend his life devoted to God in, in blissful joy and meditation. But he kind of had to go the hard path, you know, so he had to sacrifice so much uh, and go through so many difficulties as well going to the United States. Um, which can't really be understated. It's um, he's still human, as, as we heard. He's frightened. He's he's got these fears, but he still had to break through those things to fulfil this duty that he's been given. So, and it, it's extremely when I when I think about the word guru, I get really grateful. So yeah, it brings out a lot, yes. of, a lot of good emotions. And then uh, the next the, the next sentence in this in the movie, um, there's Mass Vidal, and he has another. Um, interpretation of that burden and for him it's the burden to be the representative of a 5,000 year old tradition and I'm guessing he would mean the Indian spirituality maybe the the yogic traditions the Swami order Priyank what do you think he's talking about there I think yeah he obviously so his mission was in the west and it wasn't isn't a simple one it's still going right so mm -hmm. even after 70 years after his passing or Mahasamadhi it's still going where we're flying the flag and he's guiding us as 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 as, as, as much as we let him so it's obviously no mean feat what a what he had to accomplish and b what he's still has to do even after he's no longer in the physical plane with us. So that is what I think he's referring to there. Uh, and then um, the, the movie kind of switches to, I think you see young Yogananda sit, sitting by the Ganges and like not in an esoteric way, but like in a, in a, in a movie kind of way. Um, this is like a very beautiful scene because he, he looks at you and he's like sitting there as a young man by the Ganges and you hear all this, like you hear the prediction about his life. He's getting ready, you know, he, that it's not like he's being born and he can do whatever he wants. He's being born and he has, um, he has a task to fulfill. He, and it's not a small task, it's a massive task. Um, and and I, 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 I quite liked that they talk about this and then they then they show young Yogananda looking at you. Um, Chris, what did you think? Did you feel like this was a this was a well done scene? Yeah, it's quite cool, isn't it? Um, it it's yeah. it you know it it happens quite quickly. Uh, you get you can quickly switch off to think that this is a story, right? And this oh, this is a really nice story. But when you know those eyes kind of catch you in the scene, you immediately think that well, you know. Um, you kind of get brought back into some form of reality and, and the romanticism of it um, uh, fades a little bit to, to see that, you know, this is a real individual. Um, so, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought it was nice, a nice touch. So, Carolina, did you, did you feel like this was a good representation of Yogananda when they showed this boy sitting by the Ganges? Did you feel it was credible? 
I actually today I paused in this image mm -hmm. and I was taking notes and when I looked at the screen again it was like just his that little face looking and, and I was like wow I was looking at him and <laughs> picture him when he was a little boy I read uh, that book Meshta that talks a lot about his childhood and he was just aware of his mission like since uh, the the movie starts by saying that he was conscious in his mother's mother's womb so he was already there like a child with with lots in his mind not like an ordinary child he was already i think a child full of compassion yeah very, yeah the stories in yeah, yeah the stories in match are very beautiful i i read those when i was younger i haven't read it in a long time but i remember there were some very sweet stories in there of guruji and his childhood you know um finding imagine uh, the directors they're like okay we need to find someone that looks like the young mukunda uh, he's going to have long hair uh, they, 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 i'm sure they didn't like go to mumbai and say oh, let's let's get a load of cast in they would have literally walked around yeah. random towns and villages and go hmm can we look at, do you have a young son <laughs> can we look at him <laughs> Like would we... you mind to see and then they, they would imagine how many they would have seen how many boys because mm. obviously you, you walk past loads of boys and maybe they did they just walk past this little boy and they're like oh this he looks pretty cool let's let's speak to his mom and dad and we're gonna get him on the movie yeah. <laughs> like when you, when you see the the man who plays Lahir in Mahishara you could see yeah. his name in the titles at the end but there's no record of him being a, an actor somewhere else no i say no record no record that i can see mm -hmm. um so yeah maybe the, it was the same for lahiri bahishaya you know there's many old wise looking individuals you know maybe this there. young mukunda is going to go on to change the world and we'll never know because we'll just be like oh we don't know <laughs> <laughs> i i like the idea that they like walk around and find someone like this like maybe i mean they are like hollywood trained directors they probably got like a went to a casting agency and they sent them a file with 10000 faces and they click through them mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> could also been like that if we have the directors in like this would be a great question to ask <laughs> <laughs> how did you find young mukunda i'm sure they've got a fantastic story yes i would love that <laughs> um and then and then it continues the, the next um there's a lady speaking felicia tomasco um i'm not sure if we know much about her let me read what she says first she says uh, this is a man with intuitive knowledge she's talking about yogananda extraordinary yogic powers and he could perceive events that were decades in front of him but his teachings caused controversy so she is um uh talking about a, a fully god realized man obviously being able to perceive things in the future she's talking about extraordinary yogic powers and she's also also hinting about um another section that we're going to talk about uh, later um controversy in in the teachings um uh should we first talk about yogic powers a little bit because that is that is the interesting chris what do you think what do you what do you imagine when they talk about yogic powers um well 
first I think of you like a yogi and think well what, what's a yogi um, and again somebody might have a better definition of this than, than I do but to my mind it's somebody who is realized and somebody who has attained self-mastery um, uh, and uh, reading the autobiography of a yogi was amazing for me the first time when I read it because it tied up so many things that I, I, when I grew up, I was more agnostic than anything else. My, my dad was uh, a non-sort of practicing Protestant. My mum, very much practicing Catholic. So I grew up quite agnostic. Um, and I always thought about the stories of Jesus, you know, walking on water, doing things, you know, rising from the dead. Like, you know, is there any rationale to this? Um, because we're taught really in the Western kind of world that no, there, there isn't, and it's kind of thrown out the window. But when I read the autobiography of a yogi and it mentioned the cities, I, re I got really interested. I thought, wow, so here's something, you know, maybe even you could um, shoot towards. And we can talk about some of the stories, maybe um, in the autobiography of a yogi, where there are yogis who have certain powers. and. Not, not to go into this too deeply, but um, the, the cities are essentially yogic powers that you can attain through self-mastery, through self-realization. And Yogananda specifically says, don't get too obsessed with them. Focus on your love with God. And, and these things kind of happen as byproducts. Some yogis out there um, in India, supposedly in stories, really focused on trying to master some, some of the cities and show off and do different things. And so to, to my understanding, it's this idea of supernatural powers going beyond the physical form to manifest certain realities or to unmanifest certain realities. Um, and yeah, that, that's a whole other story that I think maybe somebody can jump in and provide the <laughs> definitions of, uh, of the cities and all the rest of it for us. Yeah, there's certainly a few stories um, in the autobiography where you see some things that are hard to explain with our physics or our understanding of things that they are definitely a bit supernatural. Um, do you want to chime in on that one, Priyank? Yeah, so we obviously we see a lot, we, we hear a lot of them in the autobiography of a yogi, don't we? And Master often he, he met a lot of them and like for example the perf the perfume saint who could <laughs> muster up any any um yeah. fragrance just at the mere you know brushing of hands etc and he he always went to see them because he was fascinated by miracles but he always he generally dismisses them doesn't he uh, so miracles workers just for the sake of drawing crowds through yogic powers obviously that's not that's part that's usually a part of ego ego consciousness and pride etc so it's not necessarily the the right use of yogic powers or the right use of miracles if you have them within your within your capability so yeah um and this comes back to something that i would say is really important on on for us so uh, you know we may uh, develop some powers, spiritual powers through our practices, but use and misuses 
very important. For example, I think Brother Anandamoy said that he somehow, whilst he was doing, you know, during his sadhana, an ability came to him to see into his past lives. And he, he was really, you know, fascinated by that. And he went deep into past life analysis, his own past life analysis. And Guruji told him, no, <laughs> you, you've been given this gift, but you're now going too far into that, um, into that space, right? So he brought him back because uh, there's work here to be done. So this is similar to, I think, like, for example, this perfume saint, if, uh, if Guruji you know, we may we don't know what he told him. We just told you he may have told him. Listen, you know, gave given him some advice um, as to what we just discussed. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of wonder what would I prefer? Would I want to um, be able to to create any fragrance at will, or look <laughs> into my past lives, or fight fight tigers for that matter? Like yeah. there's yeah. So ones. Guruji very rarely displayed yeah. his powers right mm -hmm. yeah very very rarely and if he did it would be always be subtle like for example there's that story where um he was i think this comes later in the awake um where he he kind of regulates his heartbeat mm -hmm. and to a you know to an average person they, they might, they'll probably dismiss that but only a scientist or a biologist or a, a physician would be like hang on a minute, how, how the hell is he doing that? It's a miracle, right? So he, he did it in a very subtle way, didn't he? If, if he did display his um, abilities of, of producing miracles. That is, that is kind of the perception, the popular perception of some of some parts of Indian, um, uh, I would say, yogi tradition, that um, if you are not into spirituality, what you see often is sometimes people who try to perform miracles, like, um, like you see that sometimes on, on TV or on YouTube, like people who haven't eaten for months, right? Or people who haven't had any oxygen for hours or those kind of things. And I always found this interesting where this comes from, but I also, yeah, like, Guruji does say we shouldn't focus on this. When uh, Carolina, when you first got into spirituality, did you did you um, also read those kind of things? Did this kind of was this something that you associated with um, yogis? Those kind of supernatural abilities. Mm, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I, I remember when I read the autobiography. There's mm -hmm. just like miracles everywhere there, and it took me like. A couple of years to really finish the book I was just reading it and stopping and digesting that <laughs> chapter that I read for a long time because it was just like trying to understand and really capture what it all what it all meant but I think um, this power of intuition and especially the power of living the now I think this is just something that I would really like to have the superpower <laughs> of living in the now and not worrying about the future or rewinding, going to the past. And and I, I don't think I would, I, I've never seen it, but like seeing my past lives, it seemed a little bit too much, but um, definitely being able to live in the now, just really free from all of these attachments from the past and worries of the future. 
This would yeah. be like great superpower. I would enjoy. <laughs> oh yeah, sign me up as well. Yeah, I don't know the the the, uh, the greatest blessing um, that we've been given is is both memory and the lack of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <extent> there. So, <laughs> do, do you know to preact um, to, to your point, like um, uh, Master really didn't show um, or show off any creative power that he had, and to 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 what Carolina you were saying there as well about there being so many miracles in the autobiography of, of a yogi. I just wonder if those two things there's something connecting there because uh, when uh, Yogananda was, was small. He was playing with his sister, and do, do you recall the story where he uh, he said, you know, there's going to be a boil up here on, on, on the forearm for of his of his sister, so, something something like that, I think, um, on her on her arm, and it did appear, and um, or on his own arm, is it? Sorry, uh, and um, his mother sort of had a a word with him just to be careful about your words. Um, because they have force, you know, there's something to them. Um, and there's a line here, if I can read it, I just thought it was pretty cool. I wonder if I've lost it though. Um, where, yeah, Yogananda says, um, uh, those simple and apparently harmless phrases spoken to Uma, his sister, uh, were done with deep concentration. Uh, they had possessed sufficient hidden force to explode like bombs and produce definite, through, though injurious, effects. I understood later that those explosive vibratory, that the explosive vibratory power in speech could be wisely directed to free one's life from difficulties and thus operate without scar or rebuke. So we talk about cities and you know the more miraculous ideas of, of yogic powers and, and somewhat kind of you know romanticize them in a way like it's not to overlook the power of the spoken word and and to uh, yogis or self-realized individuals like yogananda the, the power and the force the force that that can have i say as i lose my own voice um, <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I, I just thought that even even that is so significant. That what does that mean? Um, and to think about the Bible and how um, in the beginning there there was the Word and the Word was with God and God was the Word. I think it says something like that. And I remember as a kid, I always thought like, what what does that mean? And it was never taught in the schools. And it really annoyed me. Like this is too significant. Like I couldn't get past line one. Uh, in, in, in school, in Bible school, because nobody was addressing this. But then, you know, Yogananda in this book does address it, talks about the life force, the force behind these words, and goes into a lot of detail in other books uh, as to the reality behind that. But just to touch on it briefly, because, you know, we could talk for <laughs> hours on that alone. So, yeah, for sure. Um, the, the next scene in the movie, you, we see. Um, performed uh, a Hindu um, ritual. It's called an arti. Um, I actually looked it up in the, the dic in the uh, dictionary, and it says arti is the ceremony of lights. Um, it comes from the Sanskrit word aratrika, and Hindu and Jain rites, and it's the waving of lighted lamps before an image of God or a person to be honored. In performing the rite, the worshiper circles the lamp three times in a clockwise direction. 
while chanting a prayer or singing a hymn. And I've seen this um, many times happening and it's very beautiful. Um, and I, um, we were wondering about the, the different practices between YSS and SRF. And I think Priyank had an opinion on this one. Yeah, so uh, I've been to a few um, YSS events in India and there's a few differences. For example, in India, they like to have a colossal sized image of Kuru. Like this picture is like the one behind me. Uh, the one in the autobiography of Yogi is like, is like a meter, a meter uh, uh, high. So like we usually have them like quite, you know, they're, they're not that big, are they? They're, they're pretty much lifelike, but this is like absolutely like two or three times magnified. And um, so there's that, that, that difference. And then there's also this arati. So generally um, in, in, in SRF centers, we don't usually do aritis um, on special occasions uh, like Brother Chidananda did it recently. Um, and there was a nice, uh, nice video of that. But generally we don't, we don't do them, uh, especially at the London center. We, we've, we've never done an arati as far as I can recall. Um, but in India, it's uh, you know, in, in YSS, it's a very regular, regular occurrence. Um, and, and we see that uh, video in the, in the Awake movie. Uh, Arati is something that is very traditional and it's done, it's practiced widely across all the, all the different uh, religions and cultures in, in, in Hinduism and in, in across India, really. So, yeah. Can I just <clears throat> ask why from what I could see, there is only guys in that shot. Is there, was there a reason to that? There's only men. Is in YSS, some kind of. Sorry, no apologies. In the movie. Oh no, I don't. I don't did we, know. Did I, don't know. I just wondered if, if there was like a, you know, for some rituals, there's male-female divides for for reasons, um, energetic reasons and things. Um, yeah, I just I just noticed it and it kind of stood out to me when I was watching it. Like, oh, everybody's guys. Like, I wonder. It's interesting you should say that actually, because um, especially in this generation, things like bhakti related uh, activities like arti, uh, gen men generally can't be, don't really want to do that. It's usually the women. Like my wife, for example, does that kind of. Even with me, like my wife does usually the artis and she does the food offerings and things like that, and I just like to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually the inverse in this generation, amongst Indians anyway, the inverse, like the men don't want to do those um, devotional ceremonies, whereas the women, women are all over them. Mm. Yeah, Interesting. It's, it's, it's very, I feel like when, when I was in India, it's like devotion is something that is so important there. And um, I don't want to compare East and West, but I feel like that is something they really focus on a lot there. And I feel like the RT is another way of showing devotion. And at some point it's like almost tangible, you know, how how big the love of some of the devotees is for Guruji and God. And I really love that. Have you ever been to India, Carolina? Yes. I was there in 2013. It oh, was amazing. amazing. Nice. And I agree with you. I have a lot of uh, the sensation I get is of devotion, their expression, the monk's expression while doing the arti also itself, a lot of love and respect. 
service to the guru. Yeah. yeah. I had an amazing time in India. Amazing. I think everybody should go there at least once. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I feel like it's like an experience going to India. If, especially if you have never been, it's definitely something that should be on the list. Did you see any of the YSS ashrams there? No. At that time, although I was already a student, I remember when I was, I'm a weird person. <laughs> I was there and I like refused to enter ashrams. I was like, I'm not going to enter ashrams. And I remember the only one that I entered was uh, a Sikh ashram in mm -hmm. a Sikh temple in Delhi. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, I forget his name. Guru Nanak? A saint from Tiruvannamalai, his ashram. Uh, what his uh, name? Guruji Sri was Aurobindo, there. You're not saying... okay. Yeah. Uh, Ramana Maharishi? Ramana, yes. Ramana Maharshi. Mm -hmm. Maharshi. Wow. Third guest. <laughs> These were the only temples I entered. I remember there was a Shiva temple, but I couldn't agree with the elephants being there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was just like it was sometimes very contradictory but um like this experience in the Sikh temple it was really amazing we ate with the people there we chanted we stayed there like for many hours it was really beautiful nice. it was a really good experience yeah, it's, it's I have fun. to go back there to to check out um, Guruji's ashrams for sure yeah absolutely it's funny that you mentioned that about ashrams because that was my first time when I went to India as well. Like, where are we going to stay? And I was just going to go in a hotel, right? Like, that's kind of what you think when you're from the West. And uh, the idea of ashram came came to me later. I, I had been at a retreat already in, in, um, in the States. And that kind of was sold to me like that. It's like a retreat kind of. And it was a bit like that. And then once you are in there, you, in this environment, you actually want to stay as long as you can. <laughs> yeah. Because they, it, life becomes very easy. You get, you get amazing food. You have monks around you and other devotees. And you're usually in a, in a beautiful place. So I can only recommend that. Did you know, um, as a Northern Irishman, I would say, as somebody who's British, uh, rituals, and certainly in the Protestant uh, church, as a kid, you know, it's just not something I would have seen in this way. Uh, and going to the SRF, there, there, there wasn't too much, I don't think, of this type, um, maybe to Priyank's point, but um, even uh, with the candles that might have been lit at the SRF center, you know, people take, take the fire and give themselves almost like a fire bath. And I, I, first time I saw that, I, you know, I was just looking at it like, what's going on? Because I didn't really, know what that was either so there's so many of these rituals that have meaning and have purpose behind them that myself and so many others are going to be completely ignorant of to, to no real fault of our own i suppose but um to the outside person to the lay person they're going to it's going to be so confusing so alien or uh so unrelatable sorts so um we could definitely do a better job, I think, in, in the Western world and, you know, uh, in other countries outside of India to educate ourselves on these things. And um, what I like, actually, in the segue off of this uh, film, Sadhguru goes some way when he gets asked questions on this to answer 
like why we do certain things, why rituals are the way they are, why certain maybe holidays and you know uh, moments or days in, in the in the calendar are the way they are. There's there's so many little mysteries that are left to be unsolved and, and spoken about in the Western world. You know, I, I can't wait just you know for maybe you know a generation or two down the line for all of this to be mainstream and public knowledge. So, yeah, it's going to be so much better. So you could easily look at this scene in as a lay person and not know what's happening. Exactly. Um, and now we move to the next scene where you have Varun Soni, um, who says he would be called into question and everything he worked for would unravel. So he's basically starting the uh, talking about the, some difficulties that also occurred when Guruji founded SRF and then there was some controversy and we, we do have a little bit of time. We can go into this a little bit. Um, Priyank, what do you, um, do you, do you want to talk about this a little bit? Yeah, it's kind of off the, it doesn't, for me, it didn't really fit in with the narrative in that part of the script. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually had to think heavily about this and Carolina and I were discussing this offline, what this meant. And I think it's, it's, I think they're using it as a tool or a lever to hold on to the audience. So at the moment, they were just, for example, the narrative has just been, oh, here's a, here's a great spiritual master, you know, guru, and he's going to go to West and we all know the, the glories of what happened. But actually there was some controversy and there was some issues. And I think so later on in the film, they actually delve into this and um, they, they, they represent it quite well in minute 46, which we'll have to um, talk about. So everyone loves them. Um, I think a scandal or something negative, people usually like to latch onto, don't they? And not like to, they, they do latch onto and they always, in, that intrigues them. And I think this is what the writers have done here. So in, in this um, minute 46, we, we hear about Swami Dhirananda who gives, who came to the US um, to help in, um, from, from India, he came to help the master in, in SRF's work, but he was caught giving private lessons to a married woman and newspapers and the husband got found out and it was a big controversy and there were headlines in newspapers like love cult and things like that so it was like a very crazy time and eventually Swami Dhirananda like left the organization and we can we can talk about that later but um yeah there was there was a there was that controversy so I think what the directors are doing are pulling pulling in the audience to keep their attention because uh, it's not just all going to be one happy story. It's, not, it's going to have some controversy, which you you should stay tuned to hear about. <laughs> it's interesting, right? Like you say, like I like your point that you said um, you need a little bit of um, like a change of atmosphere. You need a, a kind of a when that you have a light. You also need shadow, you know, to keep a movie interesting. I wonder if. This is also how life works and this is how life keeps it interesting because that's kind of how it, how it felt to me a little bit as well. You have someone establishing this organization that will free millions of people and then that you have um, also things that don't go perfectly well, even though we don't really know the ins and outs perfectly, but we do know there was a controversy back then. What do you think about this, Chris? Yeah, it's um, 
it's something that uh, I think, uh, you know, what, what's been touched on is uh, a little bit unfortunate with the truth and the reality of some gurus, uh, you know, would-be gurus out there that uh, I think with all power, um, you know, you, you can get corrupted very easily. Uh, and, you know, it's unfortunate that so many people do succumb to that. And we see it in, in all sorts of, you know, de denominations of religion, you know, not just in, you know, the Indian guru um, lineage, but, you know, in, in, in the Catholic Church, you know, we, we all know about a, a lot of the issues there. But I, I think when it comes to Yogananda, you know, um, he really faced a lot of racism and faced a lot of um, things that, you know, would have teed him up very easily to be, to have the rocks thrown at him, put it that way. Uh, so it was all too, all too easy to try to claim that Yogananda was something and, and things, you know, some controversy surrounded him where it was really in my books, looking back at it and reading some articles about it, probably due to the ignorance, the lack of understanding, knowledge of who he was and things like this. So, yeah, it just, to go back to what I said earlier, it just makes me all the more grateful because these things, it wouldn't have been easy to face um, adversity like that and continue in the manner that he did. I think when I first heard about the some controversy that he had and, and uh, uh, I, I was really shocked to have heard it because it was even a blip on the journey. You know, he, he didn't make anything of it. It's not referenced. He, he plod on with his mission um, and that prevailed. And I'm so grateful for that because this is not just a footnote in, in, in the his history of Yogananda's uh, life. So, um, yeah, please do overcame it. Yeah, um, I, com I, I completely agree. I found what I found interesting was that I grew up in, a, in an SRF family and I heard about Brother Dhirananda a little bit, uh, but not too much. And actually, that wasn't something I had heard in a long time and I didn't really know the details and the movie kind of put this more to the forefront something that um, otherwise I wouldn't have been on my mind at all um, was that similar for you Carolina or did you know about this story before you watched the movie mm, I don't remember I think I learned about it in the movie mm -hmm. but I had the same feeling as Priyank they put like in it's a, it's a movie so they have like this little sinister song music in the background and then some ghost voices and they mm -hmm. cut the scene and they jump to something else and then they're going to talk it later on. So I think it's to give like a thriller to the audience like, oh, something's coming up, something bad. But then giving already the spoiler later on, they prove that he didn't do anything bad. Mm -hmm. So it was just, I think it's just some, uh, it's a movie trick just for the, the audience. But I, I thought it was interesting of getting really the story out there, like really transparent. Hey, this happened. He had a partner who ended up marrying to someone who didn't keep on the path. It wasn't really Yogananda who broke the vows, but his partner. And he couldn't, although he did have yogic powers, <laughs> I think that sometimes you just really trust. They were best friends. They grew up together. He's mentioned in, uh, in the book Meshta also, they knew each other for a long time. I think it must have been a great deception for Yogananda to really face this situation. 
and yeah, being misunderstood. I mean, Maya, it's a really, really strong force. People don't want to believe in something good. People don't want to believe there's something greater out there or that there is this person who is like a saintly soul. So I think, yeah, he's, all of his work would have been put into question because it's just Maya pulling everything away from, from God, from truth and from the good things. But luckily our master, he looks like a master. <laughs> Me, he's my true guru. Yeah, yeah. He didn't fall in the, in the material trap like others. Because I think even a realized person can eventually fall into the abysm of Maya again. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But he really, I think Yogananda stood there till the end. And really performing yeah. a last miracle when he died by keeping his body warm and alive for several days, right? So, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really <laughs> that it is. And it is like you said, that's like, there's Maya is always there. And we're, it's a motion picture and you need light and darkness. Otherwise, it yeah. really, it doesn't yeah. really work. Yeah. So speaking of spoilers, um, we can, um, what is uh, ahead in the next minute nine, actually? Do we know? What Do you, do you have a, a short spoiler for us, Priyank, for our next one? Yes, we get to hear a lot more about, um, well, from Brother Vishwananda for the first time in the movie, who is obviously a very um, elevated soul in, in the organization, and he's got a lot of a lot of years of dedicated service to uh, to Self-Realization Fellowship. So we get to hear about him and more of Deepak Chopra, and uh, yeah, it gets pretty, pretty uh, scientific, I suppose. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Does anyone want to add anything? I, I do. Yes, quickly. Um, I think I, 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 listeners, you, you won't know, but I usually give these guys the script before the, uh, before we do this. And uh, Mike quoted that it was a lady called Felicia Tomasco that said the lines, this is the man with intuitive knowledge, extraordinary powers, etc. But in the book, I believe it was actually a lady called Gloria Schultz, who is a stage and film and television producer and actress under the stage name of Lauren Jones, as well as a longtime follower of Paramahansa Yogananda. She and her husband are acclaimed film and TV directors. So Michael Schultz were consulting producers of The Awake, The Life of Yogananda. And for those who are um, who are watching on YouTube, this is what she looks like, this lady here. So yeah, so that was, uh, I think that was an error on my part, but that's who that was, that the voice of that was. Good that we cleared that one up. <laughs> and yes. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the, the only thing for me to add is um, just to, to reiterate, anybody who's listening, watching, uh, who in, enjoyed um, some of the material that we've covered, who thinks that there is something missing or they wanted to add something, you know, uh, interact with us, drop us a line, drop us a message, and we can always in future episodes um, make uh, comments on reflections of any of your spiritual um interpretations or uh, any, anything that you can perceive uh, please do please do uh, interact with us 
yeah and if we're not perfect obviously uh, this is not a scripted podcast so if there is errors that we have um quoted like the well, one i nearly did just we nearly did just then please do let us know and we'll see if we can correct that later on absolutely and uh, carolina thank you so much for joining us we absolutely thank love you. you um we, yes, I, we, we you think so you much. probably have thank one of you. the best accents around <laughs> british english accent uh, brazilian english accents are fantastic how was it for you carolina oh it was amazing thank you so much for this invitation i i learned a lot with you guys and exchanging these ideas i felt uh, really enriching it was super cool Jaguar. call me for, for another one later oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. you regret saying that <laughs> 107 or something, uh, yeah. 107 or something. <laughs> oh, for sure. yes yes thank you for coming on and I think this wraps up minute eight. And I thank you all for listening. Jai Guru. Jai, Jai Guru. Guru.